Radioactive plugs you into the community weeknights at 6. I'm Laura Jones, and your support means Radioactive can keep passing the mic to people and nonprofits making a difference, like the ACLU of Utah. We are participating in the Women's March because as an organization, we have a lengthy history of defending reproductive freedoms throughout the United States. Radiothon starts October 29th. Help us to keep plugging you into the community by making your donation online at krcl.org. 90.9 FM KRCL's funding comes from individual listeners like you, as well as businesses, corporations, and foundations. KRCL has an open meeting policy. The station holds open board of trustee and community advisory board meetings. You may view KRCL's yearly financial report, audited financial statements, EEO reports, and meeting schedule on our website at krcl.org. Need your flu shot or COVID vaccine? Check out the Boo to the Flu Clinic at the Urban Indian Center of Salt Lake on October 29th from 3 to 6 p.m., 120 West, 1300 South. Costumes welcome. More details at UICSL.org. Welcome to Radioactive, a show plugging you into the community right here on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones, and tonight we're throwing out the playbook in order to bring you a panel discussion to wrap Latino, Latina, and Latinx Heritage Month with our partners at Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at the University of Utah. We're in our second year of sharing EDI's Reframing the Conversation series, in which they bring together experts from across campus and the community to spark important conversations around racism, othering, and safety. Tonight, what does the X mean at the end of identity-based terms like Latinx or Chicanx? How does it fit with other self-selected identities? And why is there conflict surrounding the use of these expressions? Radioactive now passes the microphone for a great panel discussion, Decoding the X. The moderator for today is Chris Macias, director of the Dream Center. Chris is a first-generation son of immigrants and the director of the Dream Center at the University of Utah, where he works with the undocumented students and mixed-status families. He has a master's degree in education, culture, and society, where his research emphasis was on low writers being educational tools for marginalized communities. Chris is a foreign language and area studies fellow with the focus area of Latin America. He's also the uh, vice chair of Chicana and Chicano uh, Scholarship Fund, and he is fluent in Spanish and well-versed in Portuguese. Please give a warm, well, 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 warm welcome, oh my goodness, um, to Chris, who will introduce our panelists for today's discussion. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I hope everybody can hear me with my mask. And by the way, thank you all for uh, obliging us and continuing to wear masks indoors. That's very much appreciated. Um, As you said, my name is Chris Macias. I'm happy to introduce today's topic, which um, throughout my entire life has been a a heated debate in some situations, right? And so we're excited to bring this conversation to all of you today to really discuss different perspectives, different opinions, different ideas, and intersecting identities throughout what all of this means, right? The X is not one, does not have one single meaning, but multiple. And for some people, the X does not mean anything, thus is not even used. And so we'll be discussing some of that today. One of the things that I want to mention is that um, today's conversation is not meant to be how the University of Utah is or is not adopting certain language. It's simply, again, opinions, conversations, and discussion around this debate that does exist and discussion around our own identities as well. Before we get into all of that though, I'd like to introduce our panelists who are here before you today. Uh, Firstly, we have Sydney Caradona. Uh, She, her, hers pronouns is California grown queer Chicana with a bachelor's degree in Spanish from the University of California Merced and a master's of arts in higher education administration and leadership from California State University Fresno. She is now pursuing a PhD in educational leadership and policy here at the University of Utah. Welcome Sydney. Uh, Next to her is David. David M. Leon is a fourth year first generation student majoring in recreational therapy with a minor in psychology with aspirations of working in the medical field. In his free time, he enjoys hiking, working out, taking part in multiple on-campus organizations, including, but not limited to, First Gen Scholars, Recreational Therapy, Student Association, Dream Center, ASUU, Leap Scholars. And I can say on a personal note that that is a very short list of all the items he's actually involved in. So welcome, David. Standing here to my left uh, is Dr. Michelle Miranda. 
Dr. Miranda is an assistant professor at the University of Utah Department of Neurology, Division of Neuropsychology. She developed the first fully Spanish-speaking service in neuropsychology at the University of Utah, and she also provides pre-surgical evaluations for patients with epilepsy. Her career special interests include cross-cultural neuropsychology, bilingualism and epilepsy, WADA evaluations for non-English speakers, and mapping of language function, among other items. Please welcome Dr. Amanda. <clears throat> my pages in order here. Um, <clears throat> originally, we had advertised um, one of the panelists as Agustin Tino Diaz, who unfortunately was not able to join us for other circumstances today. And so today we have joining us uh, in the middle seat is Dr. Daniel Cairo. <clears throat> so Dr. Cairo, using he, him, el pronouns, brings over 10 years of experience in leading programs that support diversity, equity, and inclusion. As an educator and organizational leader, he has developed successful, successful equity and inclusion programs at multiple institutions. Dr. Kyra serves as Special Assistant for Strategy and Operations to the Vice President for Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Welcome, Dr. Kyra. <clears throat> A couple of housekeeping items before getting into our actual question and panel. <clears throat> if you have any questions, um, at the end of the conversation today, there are a couple of microphones on either end of the aisles here. Feel free to come up to those to ask your question. For those who are joining us during the live stream, please add your questions on the box on the EDI live stream webpage. We will have some time for those as well. If you see me pulling out my cell phone at that point, it's because I'm looking at the questions to be able to ask them. I'm not texting my partner or anything like that. <clears throat> uh, so with that, we want to give the panelists, um, or sorry, one more thing, apologize. <clears throat> a brief history of why we're doing this and why the term exists before we get into all of that, okay? Um, <clears throat> so, decoding Latinx, decoding the X. Do we need a new word to describe ourselves as Latinas, Latinos, Latinxes, etc.? We're already a community with a myriad of identities. New Yorican, Tejano, Cuban-American, Mexican-American, Chicana. So what is the point of another one? Up until the latter part of the 20th century, Mexican-Americans, Puerto Ricans, and others of Latin descent were counted as white on the US census and were largely identified by their countries of origin. That began to change in the 1960s civil rights era when Mexican-American activists in Southern California established what they called the Chicano movement. That was followed by a push during the 1970s for Hispanic census category, which was officially adapted in the 1980s, <clears throat> even though it existed prior to that. Hispanic may refer to anyone with cultural and historical ties to Spain. This can get more complicated, of course, but these are how we're officially defining them, or how they are officially defined for now. <clears throat> Beginning in the 1990s, the terms Latino and Latina gained popularity. Latino refers to anyone with roots in Latin America and is not necessarily tied to the Spanish language. Latin America broadly consists of Mexico, Central America, South America, Caribbean islands. <clears throat> Often used interchangeably, though debated, Hispanic and Latino can have different connotations and regional uses. More recently, the term Latinx or Latinx, which is a non-binary, non-gendered approach to Latina or Latino, have become increasingly used by institutions, including universities, including our own, and media outlets, including New York Times, Washington Post, and increasingly visible in Spanish language media like Telemundo, in an attempt to become more inclusive. The X in Latinx, however, <clears throat> does not resonate with everyone. According to a 2020 survey by Pew Research Center, only about 3% of adults surveyed identify as Latinx. Other versions have come about in recent years, including Latine, which is a non-binary, non-gender way of saying Latinx, but using Spanish language grammar rules to reduce the anglicizing of Spanish words. Just about everyone in the Latino, Latina, Hispanic, Chicano, Latin American, indigenous diaspora have strong feelings about these labels, and in many cases has led to debate among our own identities. So this debate itself can be seen as a byproduct of colonial erasure of cultures, languages, identities, further feeling the need to find ourselves individually and as a community. For some of us, we think about embracing this tension and really leaning into the mess that is a term like Latinx or the letter Latinx. This question of Latinidad is not a singular thing, but one that is multifaceted and has lots of different history and experiences tied to it. So today we'll begin the conversation and begin to unpack and to decode the X. So with that, I'd like to turn time over to our panelists to introduce yourself once again, if you'd like to add more, aside from the bio that I read. And please tell us when you first heard the term Latinx and what was your initial reaction? Thank you. Uh, good morning, everyone. Again, I'm Sydney Caradona, uh, pronouns she, her, ella, su. Um, for me, the first time I heard the term Latinx, uh, again, I have an undergraduate degree in Spanish. 
Um, so I was really kind of uh, prone to hearing about issues like these just by osmosis in my classes. Um, but it wasn't until actually I went into a writing class with a professor named Iris Ruiz. Um, and she, it was the first time I heard someone say, I am Latinx. And I was immediately like, OK, what does that mean? <laughs> um, again, it doesn't phonetically make sense in Spanish. That's why we see the iteration of the Latine. Um, and you see that a little bit used more widespreadly in um, Latino culture, and specifically in the media. Um, but for me, when I first heard it, I have to say I felt included. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of queer Latinos um, can speak to that experience because as a Spanish student at the University of California Merced, even though I was a Latina and I was a Spanish speaker studying Spanish, I felt like uh, I stuck out like a sore thumb in every single one of my classes because the Spanish language operates on a binary. It operates, um, and I don't operate on a binary. So for me, it was a really big representation of what that could look like in Spanish. So I immediately adopted the word. Um, I have a little bit more of my own iterations where I do identify as a Latina, but I am part of the Latinx um, population. Does that make sense? Thank you. I, can everyone hear me? All right. Um, so my name is David. Um, First time I heard the uh, word Latinx was about probably like a year and a half ago or like two. So it wasn't that long ago. Um, and it was here in a higher education. Um, and the first time I heard it, I was actually a little bit confused. I was like, like I've never heard this term and stuff. Um, being born in El Salvador and like going to school there for a little bit, um, you're not taught these terms. Um, and it's kind of like a conversation that's held here in a higher education. Um, but I was a little bit confused. So I, ask questions about it and like searched it up and to kind of like see what it was and stuff. But um, I have started using it more often now. Um, I know you said until I was like Latino, but um, I do also prefer the term Latine as it makes more sense in Spanish than Latinx. Hello, can you hear me? Okay. So I'm Dr. Michelle Miranda. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I actually first heard uh, the term through my social media circles. Uh, that's where I first heard it. And that my initial thought was, what is that? <laughs> you can't say that in Spanish. I don't understand what that is. And I thought, this must be from a bilingual millennial. Uh, uh, to be fair, I am a bilingual millennial myself. So, uh, but I had sort of this apprehension about it because you could not say it in Spanish. And I always think about my community and my parents and whether they would be able to use a term like this. Um, and so there were a lot of apprehensions. And then I tried to learn more about it. Um, so what I did was I read up on it and figured out that the X was to be more gender inclusive. And so that's when my view changed um, in some regards. And I did start using it in more of my academic writing um, where I would write Latinx. Um, <clears throat> however, I am a clinician. I am a neuropsychologist. And so I do see patients. Mostly uh, I see patients who come in with memory problems. So that means an older generation. They still do not use the term. So when I'm around that um, space, uh, I use what they uh, identify with, and so it's still Latino-Latina um, terms, but sort of an interesting term and an interesting topic to discuss here. Uh, hello, everyone. I'll open with, uh, Tino, so cool. I'm sorry you couldn't make it, So, but I'm here, so I get to. Thank you for inviting me. This is a really, um, uh, so Tino, if you're watching this, hey, come back to another panel. Uh, so what I, first of all, let me start with thank you. Uh, that really resonated, which is why I was excited to be part of this conversation, because it is an ongoing topic. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was having this conversation with my niece, and she was like, no, like, focus on the new generation. I'm like, but you're the new generation, you're, you know? So it was, it gets kind of heated, so I'm glad to participate. So, But the first time that I heard this was actually when Pulse happened, and so, um, so the X has a real queer visibility connotation um, in, in how I understand it. You know, uh, so we, I was in San Francisco, we were on a trip right before San Francisco, you know, we were all like, you know, Chicanao at the time, it was like Chicanao or Latinao, right, the, the A. Uh, and then polls happened and then I started seeing social media and folks were using the X, right, and I started and I was just like, wow, like young people are dope. 
Like young people continue to show us the ways in which we need to be more inclusive and connected. And you know, people are like, you know, responding to me like, dude, where did you get the X? I'm like, it wasn't me. It was like young folks who are saying like, we are here, we need to be seen, this is important. And so the X to me has a very, uh, you know, uh, again, a, a queer connection, a, a visibility connection, right? But it's also the reminder that young people continue to tell us and show us how is it that we can be more inclusive. And so, um, yeah, it, it was a pretty eye-opening, not only because of what happened, but in how we were communicating who we were. If it's, a, if it's okay, I'm going to add to that. Um, I think that you kind of touching on Pulse uh, brings the East Coast into this conversation, which I think is actually a really important like piece of this conversation, because there are people who are on the East Coast who are in fact part of the Latinx conversation, but based on their phenotype, we would not assume. And I feel like that's where the X really comes. It's beyond, yes, gender is a super big thing, but a lot of those people who did perish in the Pulse shooting were Afro-Latinos, or a part of the Afro-Latinx Afro um, community. And again, you hear us stuttering because it doesn't quite make sense in Spanish as we say it, but um, I believe that the Latinx word is an iteration of bilingualism for sure. Um, and it's kind of this rising up of that population. But it leaves room for people like the populations in Cuba who were part of the Chinese diaspora who are fighting constantly to be seen as Latinos. And I feel like that place for them sometimes is the X. Um, as, and I also really, really emphatically believe that as Spanish speakers, we do have the right to defend that, hey, the X doesn't make sense to us and we can find our own iteration and it's okay to do if and or both and, I, I definitely said that wrong, but both and this, it's okay. We are such a diverse race that we're, it's okay to diversify our language. Since we're moving into conversationally, I, I think it's come up a couple of times now that it doesn't roll off the tongue. It's not natural to the language, right? So, you know, uh, you know, my more, you know, angry part of myself comes out. It's like, well, Spanish didn't roll off the tongue when it was first colonized and introduced into the Americas, right? Like, so we've, we found ways to make language work for, for the moment. And so, uh, and I don't mean to sound so flippant, right? But, you know, when that argument comes up, um, I guess I'm not interested in defending the purity of a colonial language, right? As as close as it is to our hearts, right? And so, you know, we, we adjust and we mold, right? We use we just you know switch code, uh, code switching, right? To connect and to be with people, right? How many apodos have we given all of our cousins, right? That that is like who they are, right? Like so, language really molds and becomes, you know, a, a tool for seeing each other and changing culture and and, and uh, you know affirming who we are. So that, so that was my initial problem with it, um, is, is that, because I actually thought initially, this is an English neologism. This is not Spanish. And that, that was my concern with it, is it, you know, Dr. Salinas in his writing, um, he talks about how language is a tool for colonization. And I was thinking, why are we using an English term? <laughs> You know, and so maybe maybe it is Spanish, and maybe it's something that. But even Spanish, is that our original language? Uh, and what you know, so thinking about these processes are are important, um, but also being mindful of how people choose to identify themselves is also very important. Also, just wanted to add that, like us being able to have this conversation in here right now is kind of like. A privilege that we're doing you know it's a kind of I mean, higher education that this conversation does happen and this conversation needs to start happening like in actual um like our countries and stuff um as that is not something that is really used and that's why the reason that this term is not used a lot is just because we it is like it was made by like white people using it and stuff like that so that is like a reason like it doesn't flow very well and not a lot of people are using it and that's like one of the big arguments that people are using it and it's a privilege that we can have like this conversation here and that's just something that we have as we're in a higher education but not everyone has this like like they're not able to attend like higher education um and that comes like from poverty and stuff like that so i just wanted to keep that in mind and so that's the problem right so not the problem but um that's where this word came from is from an academic setting in 2015. It was an academic writing. And so I think that that is something that has been brought up also, is that, um, is this word only for used in academia? 
or and social justice circles. And that's basically sort of where this word is being used more often is in academia and social justice circles. And so is this word from the ivory tower? And so, so things to think about. I, I think some, some of those points that you all bring up, there's a delay, um, are, are important, right? especially in terms of just language itself. If we're stepping away from identity for a moment, language itself is constantly, thank you, uh, <clears throat> evolving, as we've mentioned. For, for, for someone like me, for example, I mean, I spell my name with an X, right? But I do not call myself Latinx. I will use that term in reference to maybe a population as a whole to ensure that I am being inclusive in the sense of um, what we just talked about, academia and social justice and whatnot. <clears throat> when I'm at home, I may change that term because I'm not in those circles necessarily. But the reason I spell my name this way <clears throat> and have adopted this is for language and decolonial purposes, not necessarily for inclusivity, because my identity is, even though I do have intersecting and multiple identities within myself, it's the way that I identify and not to be inclusive of those that have a differing identity because I don't share that with them, if that makes sense. <clears throat> my inspiration for the X for my names particularly comes from Malcolm X, <clears throat> where he asked people, what was your name before you were, your ancestors were brought to this country? What was your name and why do you not know it now? Right? And so that question resonated with me in reading about him and learning about who he was. And so that really sparked some of that change to say, I actually don't know my own history. I actually do not know my past. And so I had to research it to find out which uh, bloodlines connected to indigenous cultures where my family is from. Why in, in the country that my family is from, the X is pronounced so many ways, right? We might say that we're from Mexico, but we're from Mexico, right? Or we visited Escaret recently, or we visited Xochimilco, right? Which are different ways of saying it already. So to me, it's about the decolonization of the language. And then it comes with the inclusivity when I talk about and refer to others, right? Not necessarily for myself, if that makes sense. Um, but since you all brought up some of these terms about being academic and being institutionalized, how can we make sure that these terms are not just because they're trendy at an institutional level or because research is using them or to show that a university is being inclusive in some ways with just by using that term? So what I mean is, how do we ensure that there's more to the X or Latinx than just performative allyship? I think that really starts with like talking with our families and stuff. Um, a lot of like our families are very conservative as it is um, like people from Latin America tend to be with um, being very proud of like the roots. Um, uh, but it's not always the case, but they like, if you talk to them about it and like the reason why it should be like being used, um, I think they like tend to understand. So we need to have these conversations with like our family are like younger siblings and stuff like that so that they can start using it and like it gets carried on as well and like they don't have to identify it with it like chris was saying they just have to like know the term and like so it's for to be inclusive and like know of everyone and like treat them by like the, what they want to be treated as i love that you brought up like family life <laughs> because it's specifically for the latinx community i feel like we are constantly uh, within a place of tension with tradition. And I feel like that's a big part of why this is such a quote unquote difficult conversation right now. Um, and I think bringing that to the forefront of the university, um, it's kind of because of the same reason. Our families are a product and their traditions are a product of colonization as is the institution. Um, so it's kind of fighting the same fight at home and then here at the institution. Um, and I think that First, starting at home is definitely a good place because those are sometimes, I don't wanna say the easiest conversations, but the most honest. Um, a lot of times I feel like as Latinx people, we feel like we don't belong here. Um, and I think that a part of that, especially in a place like Utah, oh, we can all name that, um, that we, we are part of this conversation. Um, this is the first time I've ever seen this many Latinos in a room. Um, and I'm not, this is the first time I've chosen to speak up about these issues. So I think that not to say like, oh, let's put it on our backs and let's go change the institution, but we need to be part of more of these conversations. We need to make sure that our voice is heard. Yes, the administrators can um, be allies for us, can do X, Y, and Z, but until they hear it from our voices and see solidarity amongst all of us, and I know that Utah has a little bit of a different history. I'm from California, so most of us are Mexicanos or Chicanos, where here I see Peruvians, Guatemaltecos, I see everything. So it's, I understand that it's a totally different um, 
conversation because we all have different histories of colonization. So sometimes we, we, we approach the issue differently. Um, but if we can all at least know that we want to have a voice, I think that's a really good start. Um, and as far as the performative issue, I really wanna make sure I touch on that. The X can definitely feel performative. I feel like I should say that, that when I will feel somebody call me Latinx, I'm like, you're just calling me that because you see that I'm queer. Do you really understand what that is? And I think the first step is having more conversations like this um, and really defining where it comes from. Um, and I do want to add to a, a point that you made, Doctora, is that the first time the word was actually used, and again, that was probably first established as used in 2015, was actually on queer message boards. It was like, okay, how do we talk about ourselves? I'm a Latina and I struggle to show my queerness around my, my community sometimes. So it was conversations like that. Again, sometimes it comes from us, but the work doesn't have to be ours. So many thoughts. I was trying to keep them down. Uh, so um, so I, I hope they connect. So here we go. I, 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 what's interesting about this to me is that we, we, we aim to find a def, almost like a definitive answer to the X or the, our positionality in X, right? You can be with your tios, your tias, your community, and say, uh, soy hispano, soy latino, and everybody's cool. But as soon as you introduce the X, which to me is very queer, is very gendered, is you know, it has that connotation of sexuality. That's when you know everybody loses their, you know, their that it gotten us to understand and just let people be, right? And so, like, I, I guess I just I, for me, I don't want to lose the part that the resistance to this to me is very rooted in in in, in people's resistance to gender and in, uh, inclusion, right, of sexuality inclusion, what, what that, that might be. So that's, that's one of the things that comes up. The other thing that comes up is, is I, I think I want to problematize uh, performative allyship, right? Like we start to put these, uh, I, I feel like there's, there's like, what is the bar <laughs> for, for allyship, right? Do we know what, what those individuals might be doing or, or not doing in order to dismiss it as performative, right? And so I do, I do get those experiences, right? Like, you know, microaggression, and then they throw in like dicks. I'm like, you actually, you actually don't see me, right? Like you are just, you know, it, it feels performative, but that is based on an experience, right? So it's hard for me then to say who may be doing it uh, or not, right? Depending on, on on some of those other 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 pieces of, of data. And I forgot the third point, so I'll come back. Um, yeah, so thank you, Sydney, for the correction. I appreciate that. Um, I think my uh, perspective on this is first, I think we need to have an understanding of the X or Equis. Um, because I think the beautiful thing about it is that it is something that is fluid. And it is something that we can choose how we define it. Um, I know I'm going back to the literature a lot, but, you know, in the literature, it's sort of people have very different ways of defining it. it. It doesn't just have to be about gender. It could be about other things. Um, there were um, discussions about how it could be from the Nahuatl uh, language in central Mexico. Um, and so that's where the X started from for uh, Chicanos, the Chicano movement. Um, and so it could be something like that. It could be inclusivity for indigenous communities also. It could be inclusivity for our Afro-Latinos. Uh, so that's the beautiful thing about it, is that it could be fluid and we can choose how we define it. Um, and so if we're gonna use it, we have to understand what it means and um, basically be able to identify it, right? So not just using it because that's sort of what's cool or what's trending, um, but using it with a purpose and with intention. And so when someone asks you, why are you using that? You should be able to respond. So institutions right now, a lot of people are using this word, but don't know why. Um, and so first is being able to define it. So these conversations are very important because that's where we gain our understanding um, and, and we get to sort of start defining it. Now the piece about performative allyship, that's very important because a lot of people are doing that nowadays. Uh, that's a big, big problem. And so it can't just be about the language. The language is important. How we identify is important, absolutely. But it can't just be about 
categorizing people. That's sort of what we use language for. And we, people use it to sort of make it easy. Like, I want to put you in a box, help me understand you. You need a category. The thing about Latinos, I'm going to use the, the term Latinos, uh, Latinx, is that um, we're, there's a lot of heterogeneity. Um, we don't fit any of the boxes that have been created for us. And so that's the beautiful thing about these terms. And so that's the thing about performative allyship. It can't just be about the language. And, but first, like if we're gonna use the language, using it intentionally, um, allowing people to identify and define themselves is very important. This is Radioactive. You're listening to Reframing the Conversation, Decoding the X on KRCL. That last point is is absolutely crucial, right? One of the one of the discussion items that I heard in preparation for all of this was if in English, English itself as a language is non-gendered, right? We can say you're Hispanic or Latin, which could be inclusive of everybody, right? And so it's important to bring up all of those items to say we go beyond just being non-gendered to be inclusive of all of those other folks and other identities beyond just the gender and sexuality piece, right? Can you all speak a little bit to that part of why it's important to, to go beyond just non-gendering in the English language? Um, I'm going to start by saying that like the words Latin and Hispanic, neither of those are gendered, but they both have negative implications for our people. And I understand that not everybody thinks that, um, but the word Hispanic has some pretty negative history to it. Uh, there was times in, there was parts of history in this, in this country where if you had a Hispanic sounding last name, you were automatically in a certain program that made you take second grade three times. That's a real thing that happened in this country. So that's part of the reason I don't like the word Hispanic because it has, if you had a Hispanic sounding last name, that's why. So again, that's my, <laughs> my bit on the word Hispanic because again, it has some really negative political history. And the word Latin, again, I think has a very Eurocentric meaning behind it. Um, and I think that that is again, what we are trying to eradicate with the word X. And I understand that even then, because it comes from English, it is a very Eurocentric way, but, um, Again, I think this kind of dynamic nature of the Spanish and English bilingualism, I guess I'll call it that, is it's fluid. Um, and I think that the word Latin, again, that wouldn't cover um, Brazil. That wouldn't cover Brasileños. What would they then be? Um, because they're not Portuguese. They speak Portuguese, but they are not Portuguese. So again, I think that sometimes adding things like the X can again be problematic and we we have different iterations, and I love that you brought up the indigenous kind of origin of it, because when I see Mexicano, I see Mexica. That's the word I see. Or I see, in some, some people in here may have no idea what I mean, but the word X, or the letter X, can have so many different sounds. That's where the word Chicano came from. It was first spelled with X-I-C-A-N-O, Chicano. It's not Chicano. That's where the origin comes from. So again, that's where I see the X. Um, coming from, and I understand that not everybody does, but if sometimes if that helps have an indigenous identity to it, I think that brings a little bit of peace around the word and its maybe Eurocentric origins. I'm thinking about the um, earlier the, the comment in terms of, or the, or the question that was coming up, you know, like how do we use it or how do we name people? I think uh, for me, when speaking to someone, right, I wouldn't give them the label and I think what we forget or we, we gets lost in, in in these conversations even at the interpersonal is that people should be able to name themselves and call themselves what they want to see and honor that right so when someone comes in I think you were mentioning it right like using the language someone comes in and I also don't use Hispanic right um, but if someone comes in they see themselves as that then we need to affirm and see and, and be there for them right and so so that's on the interpersonal on the more you know like a, approach or how I use it I think that the the X really for me is a, a place to to acknowledge those individuals who are probably the most marginalized within our communities right who are whether it's because of gender sexuality indigeneity right and so but it's really to give uh, to hold space for the individuals who exist in the margins, right? Because a lot of the, the, the resistance that I hear are individuals who are who can exist within the norms that that are dominant within our community, right? And 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 they're going to be the the, the 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 individuals who are loudest. But I want to affirm and create space for the individuals who are saying, you know what, Latina, Chicano, right? Like Chicano, so, so I, I identify as Chicano, but it was hard. It is so hyper-masculine in the spaces that you occupied, right? So that 
even that is complicated. And so if people are saying, you know what, I am part of this community, but I am more complicated than this, right? We need, I think we need to affirm, validate, and make space for those folks, right? Which I think is another valid point about when I'm in the introduction that I presented is that about according to the Pew Research Center, 3% of people are using Latinx officially to refer to themselves and their communities. Um, so, so based on that, it's still important to give that time or to give that space for them to identify themselves however they wish and for us to be able to, to use that in terms of referring to, to those folks, right? Um, and I come back to that, if only 3% of people, everything you just said is still valid, saying we still need to create that space. Can you all address that a little bit more, please? I feel like we're at a very, very important point in important point in history. I feel like you could just sit there and like if you were to take the wind, like it like it smells like change. <laughs> like it, we are in a place of change, and I think that if you really look back at the history of our people, even the word Chicano was a was a word that was used as an insult for such a long time. It actually was like loosely translated to the word that means gesture or fool. It was used as like, oh, Chicanos are calling themselves fools. That's why you see signs that says Chicano means power because we, there is a reclamation of language. And I feel like that's somewhat what we're doing with the X because we were taught that the Nahuatl language was something that we couldn't use anymore. So to me, that's where you see that kind of reclamation of our terms. Um, and I think too, that we're in a point in history where again, it's, it's, a, it's a young millennial word. <laughs> like that is such a fair argument, such a fair argument. Because at the end of the day, it was young Chicanos in East LA schools that were starting to use that word as a means of power and walking out because they weren't seeing that their culture was being supported in the LA school system. So I think that we're just at that point in history. Again, I'm no fortune teller, anything like that. But I think that we're at a point where we're seeing this word, we're having these conversations. At some point in history at UCLA, they were doing the same thing about the word Chicano. I think that we're just at that point in history where we have agency over how we decide to use it. Um, and I will say, and I really want to just speak to like this idea of like researching Latino people or Latinx population. We are such a diverse population that really trying to say like put a quantify us is hard. So I really personally, as someone who's studying research now as a first year doctoral student, I take that 3% with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, we are so diverse and um, that the, how, can, how can you encapsulate us in one survey? Um, so that, that's how I feel about that. Absolutely. And so to that point, um, it, it feels like people want to make it easy to identify us, right? Like it feels like people need a category. So just tell me how, tell me how to identify all of you together, right? Um, and that's just, it does not work. It just does not work. Um, and why should I make it easy for you? <laughs> Um, stop it. <laughs> um, but also, uh, to that point, you know, we're talking about groups that are marginalized, you know, have a history of discrimination, oppression, you know, it, our non-binary um, sisters and brothers um, have suffered a lot. <laughs> and, and not just them, like all of these groups that are, you know, marginalized, uh, they get to identify themselves. <laughs> You know, uh, they get to tell us how to identify them. Uh, so, you know, I, I just, um, there are, there is a space for everything, I think. Um, I think what we're doing is we're trying to look for a way to make it easy. It's not, and that's okay. It's just okay. David, I think you, you had yeah, something. Go ahead. Yeah, so I also just wanted to add, it's, only been six years since like the term has started getting used. So it's no surprise that only 3% people are using it uh, as a term to identify themselves. Oh yeah, and um, also like, yeah, not everyone has to identify under the same term. So not we're never gonna get 100% identification in like the same term and stuff. So that's something that we have to keep in mind. Um, and like, like you were saying, we don't have to all fall in one category. So there will be still people that use Latino, Latina, Latinx, um, Latine, um, so we don't have to all, and it's only been like six years, so it's only gonna keep growing if we keep having these conversations. So we just gotta make sure that we are having these conversations and educating people on like what it means and stuff. And I'm sure it will like 
as she was saying, it will keep growing. Um, we're at a time of change and a lot of things are happening. So if we keep this up um, a lot like, and having these conversations, it will create space for these things to keep continuing growing. There, so two points. One, you made me think when I was in, when I lived in Chicago, I was doing some community work with uh, on public education and we had to get a message out to people. We're like, oh, put it in Spanish, right? And the message kept going. I'm like, I swear I already edited this. But then we realized you had someone from Guatemala, someone from Puerto Rico, and someone from Mexico all trying to edit the same message. You're finally like, okay, who's the community right now? It's Humble Park. Let the Puerto Rican <laughs> dictate how we're going to be talking to folks, right? So we're not, we're not the same, right? And there's a lot of commonality and there's a lot of difference. And I, I like that, right? Like, let's let people know what they what the, what the, uh, honor and validate how they want to call themselves. But to your question, Chris, when I hear the 3% versus that, right, I, I, what comes up for me is like, I wonder if people think like it's just it's just because it's an academic thing, right? And so, and I guess the point that, that comes up or that I want to make is that if whether it's, you know, it started in queer boards or popularized in academia, because it happens in academia, it's not inherently bad. And I think that when I hear that, you know, I think we tend to dismiss like, oh, you know, like a whole bunch of ivory tower folks, right? There's problems if it stays there and it doesn't actually connect and, and advance the work that we're doing in communities, right? But you know, just because it's academic, to me, it's not inherently bad. But it does. It is a call to actually do something with with knowledge, with the language, and connect with folks. I I find it very interesting how in this diaspora, just in the people here, we have a certain identity, whether it, it varies from each other or not. But we also have to carry all of this history with us. <clears throat> we have to be our own storytellers. We have to be our own researchers. We have to be our own uh, intergenerational memory carriers just to tell you how we identify. Uh, and so we carry that, 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 that burden, but also that wisdom at the same time simultaneously just to be able to say, yo soy Chicano. Yo soy Mexicano, right? Or something along those lines. And so just a conversation today, I was taking a little aback, even though we're preparing for this, to kind of really see how much we all have to know about ourselves to say a word <clears throat> or add a letter, right? So um, Chris, your comment ahead. made me, uh, and I'm gonna totally butcher this quote. Uh, Sandra Cisneros, right, in terms of the, what we carry, right, when someone calls her Hispanic, someone if knows the quote, enemy, right, when someone calls her Hispanic is how they see her as relationship to like the Anglo culture, they call her Latina is someone that sees and affirms the history and the richness that comes with being a complicated person. That's not the actual quote, but that's what I remember for the quote. So your comment made me think of that. Check out the quote. It's really cool. Um, we'll look it up. Dr. Marinlick. But also what I was going to mention is that, uh, yes, so we basically have to not only carry all of that, but then also educate others, right? So we're, we're all, we have, the burden is on us to always educate others. And that is not necessarily our responsibility. But also, when we do have, when we do create these spaces, look at who's here. Look at who participates in these conversations. And why isn't there more people here? Why aren't there more people here? Um, you know, uh, we're in an academic setting. Where are all the faculty members? Um, and so, it, it, this is hard. Absolutely. And, and with that, we've already kind of addressed this just for the moment, but to leave, our, our, to close our conversation before we turn to questions with some sort of action item, we've, kind of, like I said, I kind of addressed it, but can you all perhaps briefly share what are some things that institutions can do or that we can do at the University of Utah to think beyond these terms um, and, and be really inclusive of identity? And also, how can we um, think of cultures and people beyond what we're doing today, which is Latinx Cele Celebration Month or Latinx Heritage Month, right? So what are some suggestions you'll have to go beyond that? I was going to say, um, like, holding these conversations, not just in, like, National Hispanic um, Heritage Month, um, holding these conversations during throughout the whole, like, year and stuff there, like, these conversations can be had, can be had, can be had at any time, sorry. Um, so these type of conversations can be had at any time, and there's a lot of different resources on campus that, um, help with these conversations and help students um, that identify as Latinx, Latino, Latina. Um, and they, like giving them more resources, being able to like push for those places to have more resources and be able to do more things and not putting them in the outskirts of campus, I think is a way of like helping these places grow. 
Um, I'm really lucky in the sense that um, I have faculty that knew I was going to be up here and definitely showed me towards some research on this. Um, Dr. Lawrence Parker, if you're watching. Um, but the, like the, the university like ecosystem, for lack of a better word, has such big implications for how Latinx folks first view themselves because it, that's the first lens. As once you become a student, that is the lens you see yourself through primarily. I think a lot of us can resonate with that. So whatever the university says we are, we're gonna at least take that into consideration at least this much. And sometimes for others, it's this much because we're, we don't feel seen. And I would say that it, from the research I read, it goes beyond, we, Latinx folks by default have a political identity just by way of our diaspora, by way of our roots. Um, and I'm gonna use a pretty brutal word, but at the end of the day, we are a bastardized race. That is why we are so diverse because we are a bastardized race. So I think first, under understanding history, understanding the history of what the institution has meant both for Chicanos and as an exclusionary practice, um, I think affirming that. I'm a big proponent of the idea that we really need to start with history. Um, we really, really need to start with history because it has so many implications for what we're dealing with now. Um, I really agree with you on this, like, yes, it's Hispanic Heritage Month, but we could, we could talk about this any day. Um, and even also adding that not a lot of people know that Hispanic Heritage Month is from September 15th to October 15th. And that's intentional because they're essentially all of the days of um, um, independence. independence. I was going to say Independencia. Thank you. The Independence Days all took place in kind of this weird part of the year. It wasn't one calendar month. Um, and I think having conversations over why that is. And specifically, I, I don't identify as South American. I'm, again, Chicana. But having conversations around just the kind of kaleidoscope of Latinx identities, I think, is a really good way to approach it because that's, you have to rectify history through that. What I would love to see in our campus is, you know, as, as aspirational as to where we're going, I would love to see cultural markers of our people, of the other, other you know, um, of, you know, marginalized, empowered folks who are on this campus, not just in our cultural centers, but throughout our campus, right, where we can see each other. There's a beautiful mural in Sespe that is tucked away in the corner that you have to know where to go look at it, right? I would love to see those, you know, as part of our, our, our geography as to who we are, our contributions here is what we do, right? So um, I think that would be a piece. I'm also really glad for our, you know, our Marcom Marketing Communication theme, team who's been really thoughtful about how do we just not have this in, you know, in, in this Heritage Month. And part of the reminder in the conversation that, you know, the affirmant, the validation, the complicated histories, like these are year-round conversations that happen both, you know, virtual, in person, at the coffee table, at the podium, right? All those pieces so that they're continuous. And so, um, so those are two things that came up when you asked. <clears throat> so I, uh, so first, there is a place for language, obviously. <clears throat> and so I think that first, if the university is going to use these terms to understand why they're using the terms and being intentional about using these terms. Um, so that's one part. But then the other part is allowing people to really just self-identify. So there should be a restructuring of all of the forms, every application that people fill out where you have to not only fill out what gender you are, but also what race and ethnicity you are. I think all of those need to be changed so that people can have the opportunity to self-identify more often. Um, a lot of times those forms are very restrictive and exclusionary. So that's a place where we can start. So not just language, but I want action. So these are actionable steps that can be taken moving forward. Additionally, I want data on, you know, um, recruitment of uh, Latino communities, uh, not just for students, but also for staff, for faculty, and the retention rates. What are you doing to be inclusive and keep people on campus? Uh, and if there are any problems there, what what should we be doing moving forward? So more data, keeping track of this, and having, <clears throat> creating a place that is actually more diverse and actually more inclusive. Thank you so much to all of you for all of those points. I think definitely keeping those items for action in mind is super important. Something that I would like to personally see is to have the same conversation in Spanish, 
and see how different that might be for folks who, who speak that language. And beyond that, if possible, to also get folks with indigenous languages who live in Latin America or have connections to Latin America to see how that conversation would then evolve and how different it may be, right? So other action items to consider. <clears throat> for the moment, though, uh, we will reach the time for our panelists. Thank you once again so much for all of your insight and your knowledge. We'd like to turn it over to the audience, uh, both in person and the live stream, for any questions. Once again, there are two microphones at the end of the aisle here, and I will be... Um, asking the questions from the live stream on here. And there's actually quite a few already. So this conversation is going to be well. Um, so please, if anybody would like to come up, in the meantime, I'll ask one of the first ones from the uh, live stream. <clears throat> uh, someone says, and this is anonymous, by the way. <clears throat> uh, I honestly don't know what to call myself when people ask how I racially identify. I like Chris's recommendation to know your history. Any good online resources to knowing your history? I'm, I'm going to say this is like the Chica Nix or Mestiza Bible, and this is what I read over breakfast today. I just picked a few passages that are some really close to me. Um, and this is um, Borderlands, La Frontera by Anzaldúa, and it just really speaks to kind of this, this feeling of not being this or that. And I'm sure that that's, I imagine that maybe is what resonated with the person that, that um, um, submitted the question. But it speaks a lot to our history and this idea of living in the borderlands um, of two identities um, and also really speaks to kind of this idea of linguistic violence that, that I feel like that is a really big theme in this conversation of you can't tell me what my language is or how I identify and it really speaks to kind of the agency that we have over self-identifying. So I would say um, Borderlands, La Frontera, The New Mestiza by Gloria Anzaldúa. There's PDFs everywhere online of some of her um, most like informative passages, I would say. Thank you all for coming. Uh, my name is Luis Ramirez. And my question is like, or so some background info. So um, I, underst I understood that like these conversations of preferences in using Latinx or Latina, Latino, Latine, um, are crucial in creating a more inclusive environment. But from these conversations, um, due to certain comments or questions, I think microaggression, microaggressions will be inevitably, you know, or they will arise. And so um, how can you, like, facilitate these negotiations and preferences? Or how can you be an advocate for, advocate for a victim of a microaggression and clarify the misunderstandings and and stuff like that well so at first i think we need to create a culture of um a culture where people feel comfortable calling that out um calling it in calling it out that it's a whole thing um but a, a culture where people feel comfortable calling that out if there are microaggressions and having those really difficult conversations when these things happen um but also i think um in terms of being um, inclusive and, and advocating for other people, I think one of the things um, that I personally do is, so when I see a patient, I ask them how they want to be identified and which pronouns I should be using. Uh, so creating that space. So I think we're doing a good job with pronouns a little bit more because we're saying it at the beginning we're creating so when we say you know my pronouns are she her um hers aya uh it's it's to create sort of um normalcy around it that it's okay to say your pronoun and so hopefully that opens a door for other people to also give their pronouns and so if we cr start creating that culture of it's okay to self-identify um i am latina um, and so how do you identify? So making it normal uh, for people to be able to do that. I think that that's one of the ways. And listen, we have a lot of privilege because we're in academia, right? We're in these settings. And so we, there's some privilege here. And so we can use that uh, to advocate for people whose voices are not always heard. Thank other, you. Other thoughts? Thank you so much for your question. Um, this question is in relation to... Uh, some of the stuff we talked about institutionalization, but someone asks, how do you negotiate utilizing the term in the ivory tower and simultaneously not policing it within the community? Yes, the question is, how do you negotiate utilizing the term in the ivory tower? I'm assuming they mean Latinx, but that's an assumption. And simultaneously not policing it within the community. So could I speak to that? The policing just like hits a nerve, right? <laughs> I think we're, we're like, 
where we're getting, uh, for me, when I was moving from my, you know, like Hispanic to really embracing my Chicano identity, you know, uh, I, I was in a lot of progressive spaces where it was constantly, or folks saying, you know, like, don't say that, that's wrong, or whatever. And I'm like, okay, fair, but but let's have a conversation. I want to know why saying that word is is not appropriate, right? And I see that happening a lot. That you know, uh, it's almost like this hierarchy of consciousness that we get into a place of, right? Like, you're not there, you're not thinking about this, right? And so we start policing, and I think that we forget, you know. Um, uh, what, what makes these movements great, which is the, the, the exchange of ideas, the conversations that affirming and seeing people for you know they're, they're the complicated beings that, that they are, right? So how do we do that in, in, in the community? I'm not going to roll up in there and, and you know with my abuelitos and start you know throwing down the X or you know talking about these other pieces, right? I think we, we do a good job of doing this code switching when, when we're talking about other things, right? And, and being attentive to other people's humanities and not using it in a way that like, oh, I know more than you, or like, this is actually the term, you shouldn't call yourself that, right? The moment that we're doing that, we're not affirming and we're actually dismissing people's experiences. And so to me, hopefully, the, the you know, how do we not police folks, right? Is that continue to see people for their humanity, for, for who they are. And, and I think if we start there, it's a really good place to start. Thank you for that. Uh, we have another question from the audience in person. Welcome, thank you. Hey, can you hear me? Hey. All right, so quick question. Um, how do we open up cross-cultural, kind of using the X as cross-cultural collaborations, um, understanding the populations of Latin Americas, particularly with African-Americans? Um, Africans, only 5% of them actually being dropped off the United States. The rest of 95% of them were left in Mexico, Cuba, Honduras, Brazil. So how do we recognize those Afro-Latinas, Latinx, but then on top of that, create as like the Black Cultural Center and other centers as well, cross-cultural collaborations? Thank you for that question. Cindy. Yeah, I'm so happy you brought that up. Um, okay. First and foremost, I think that uh, I follow a lot of like, Afro-Latino scholars on, on Twitter, and I feel like there are a lot of conversations around whether or not they feel included in the X, and I feel like that's a lot of like what this is too, like, oh, well, that doesn't fit me, so I don't feel included, and that's completely fair, and I really like how you put it, Doctora, like, it shouldn't be that easy, um, but I f really feel that, like, like that is such an integral point, is this 5% versus 95%. I taught Spanish last year, and the way that Mexico views black culture and uh, black Mexicanos is actually a lot worse than they, we treat black people in the United States. It's actually a whole of a hell lot worse, a lot, a lot worse. So that really shows you that first, Latinidad is super anti-black, and I feel like I need to name that. Out here, all of us that are Latinos, oh, I see a lot of nodding heads. Like, we can say that, and that first needs to be spoken to, and I think that that is why we need to be having more conversations like this, because they don't even feel included in that word. I know that there's a, um, an actress who was on Pose, I don't remember her name, um, but she's a trans actress, and she says that she doesn't identify as Afro-Latina because that Latin part isn't hers. She's Afro-Taino. She grew up in Puerto Rico, so that's the ta Taino is the indigenous group there. So I feel like a big part of it is making space for people to say, hey, I don't feel like I identify under that because there are huge historical implications for why they feel like they do or they don't. Same reasons for why certain, I think, um, Latin American groups feel like they aren't included in the X or the E even. Um, because even the Latine, I'm going to be 100% honest, sounds like a Spaniard speaking, and I don't usually adopt that type of Spanish. Um, just full transparency as a Spanish speaker. But I think that a big part of it is having more of these conversations. And the thing is, there are a lot of people in the United States who probably couldn't even fathom the idea of a black person speaking Spanish. And that is where I think we need to really, really kind of just break that, shatter that glass ceiling first and foremost, um, and have more conversations with Afro-Latinos, because we could sit here and talk about Afro-Latinidad and think we know what we're talking about, but we only understand it through an objective historical lens. Um, and I think that having more cross-cultural conversations like this one here, and also engaging, we have very few black scholars on campus, period. I would imagine very, very few, if any, are Afro-Latinos or Afro-Latinas. So engaging that actual conversation, I think engaging in that type of scholarship first and foremost, because that's, we're at the ivory tower and that's usually where we start, but also then engaging what 
blackness means to people from Utah, and then what blackness means to Cubanos, what blackness means to Puerto Ricanos, what blackness even means to, to Mexicanos, because again, there are black Mexicanos, and a lot of us might like be like exploding in our brain right now, but these, it exists. And I'm so happy that we could make space for this conversation. And that was Decoding the X from Reframing the Conversation, a monthly series from the folks at Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at the University of Utah. My thanks to EDI's Eunice Contreras for her help with tonight's program. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the series, including transcription and upcoming events notices. I'm Laura Jones, and thanks for tuning into Radioactive and getting plugged into your community on KRCL tonight. Democracy Now! is next.